Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Ebony Flowers was born and raised in Maryland. She holds a BA in Biological Anthropology from the University of Maryland College Park and a PhD in Curriculum and Instruction from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she wrote her dissertation as a comic, mostly. Ebony is a 2017 Rona Jeff Award recipient. She lives in Denver, Colorado. This is her first collection of short stories. Tanika Stotts is an award-winning comics creator and television writer based in Los Angeles, California. They have won the 2017 Ignatz and 2018 Eisner Award for Best Anthology, a co-founder to Ascend Comics with Dershing Helmer. They continue to focus on comics as a medium for their various stories. Their latest work can be found in Elements, Earth, a comic anthology by creators of color, which is available in the front. Great. Thank you. I'm Tanika. I'm Ebony. <laughs> and we are, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wrong show. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to do a um, quickish, well, I think it's quick. I'm going to read one of my stories from Hot Comb. So if, if you've never picked up the book, here it is. It's this one here. Um, and it's a collection of about, I think it's nine stories in there um, that are loosely based around black women's hair and, and it deals with um, broader themes of family, place, and belonging wrapped around the vestiges of uh, stuff like racism, misogyny, and classism. Uh, I call it feel down stories instead of feel good stories. Um, <laughs> And, there, and there, I have also included uh, a few of my hair product parody ads. So I don't have much free time now, but there was, uh, because I have an infant son, but before he was born, I had a little bit more downtime and uh, I decided to create a fake hair product line called Pinnacle. And, and sometimes I would just kind of lie around and think of hair products um, for my fake hair product line and then create ads for them. Um, so those are in there too. And, and so the um, <clears throat> story I'm going to read for you is uh, about softball. It's a fiction piece. And um, I used to play softball and as a kid. And I, I loved playing up until the point when I realized I didn't like balls flying at me anymore. So I stopped playing. But uh, one of the things I loved about softball was the cheerleading part of it, like all the little cheers you made with it. So um, I wrote this for kind of that nostalgia for that, but then also because um, in the news there were like recent issues around like black athletes who uh, had, who couldn't perform, just be athletes because of their hair. So there was some kind of issue um, dealing with their hair where they in, impacted how they played. And so, for example, there was this one gymnast who was in the Olympics and she was this great performer 
and the only thing that people cared about was how her hair was, and there was like this big Twitter uproar because they, people thought that her hair wasn't appropriate for that, and it created, it uh, gave her a, a lot of anxiety. And there was another one, a co I think it, maybe it was like a year or two ago, and it was uh, about this, uh, it was this wrestler, high school wrestler, and he was competing, and apparently he had dreadlocks, and those dreadlocks were against like, uh, whatever rules that they had in wrestling. And so um, he made the decision along with his coach to cut them off right there so that he could play. Um, and then just recently it happened, I'm originally from Maryland and this happened, um, I think this was in Virginia where uh, Mike Pence's wife teaches. Um, this little girl, she was like, I guess like 11 or 12, um, was playing at recess, she had dreadlocks and she was attacked by a few of her classmates um, who were uh, yelling racial slurs at her and, and, and then cut her hair, cut her dreadlocks off. Um, and, and so this, the story I told you, these are feel down stories. So, <laughs> so these kind of events um, inspired this writing and then also a friend of mine uh, who was also getting her uh, PhD at the same time I was, uh, she was a Title IX lawyer, and uh, she did research around uh, black female athletes in collegiate sports um, that are not, um, they're mostly dominated by, uh, by white people, so like swimming, softball, mm -hmm. gymnastics, and uh, she interviewed them about their experiences um, in these sports, and one of the things that popped up was uh, this issue around hair and how people receive their hair and how it became this kind of, um, uh, bigger theme that they were not anticipated, anticipating and how it impacted uh, their performance on the field and then also um, their academic performance. And so, okay, so that was long-winded and now this the screensaver is on, so let's get going. Okay, so um, these are some quick family photos because everyone's curious about other people's lives. Um, <laughs> let's see, is this going forward? Skylight books, we're having issues. Directions are going. Yeah. Hit enter. Enter? Yeah, try enter and then hit the, there you go. That's why Denise gets here. I used to work tech support. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, how come, I don't think I mentioned this, it's a mix of um, fiction and creative nonfiction, and so I grew up in Maryland, specifically um, in and around Baltimore. This is my uh, family, that's me picking my nose, if you're wondering who that, that person is. Um, and then that's you know my brother and my um, mother and father. And uh, the longest story, also called Hot Comb, um, references my family, so. Um, and then I also grew up in a trailer park in Maryland, and so I have a soft uh, space in my, my heart, a little soft place for people who grew up in trailer parks mm -hmm. because the struggle is real. Um, yeah, so all of these, all of my uh, life experiences um, influence and influences uh, my um, comics making practice and process and um, ways of telling stories. And um, even if the story itself isn't true, there's an emotional truth to it that I draw, that um, I use my personal history um, and, and that of my um, friends and family. I draw upon that to, to create these stories.
So this is my grandmother. I also have a, a younger sister. Um, and yeah, so this is in Baltimore in a place that no longer exists called Fairfield. Um, and Fairfield was a, a place that was zoned for mixed industrial use and industry won over the people and forced all the people to, to leave. Um, so for people who are unfamiliar with hot combs, um, there was a time when hot combs were, it, so hot combs are used to straighten uh, black hair and there was a time when hot combs were not, um, uh, didn't have uh, Electric. electricity. Yeah, electricity. And so you heated it up over the stove and so a lot of times uh, when you got your hair done, you do it in the kitchen. And so this is my aunt and my uh, grandmother um, doing hair in the kitchen, which also pops up in my in my stories. Okay, so my little sister Lena again. It's uh, based off of it's a fiction piece that's based off of uh, some of my experiences playing softball. So this is me. I was a terrible softball player, by the way. Um, so these are only good pictures of me. So this is me bringing a batter in. So an RBI. Um, and this is another one of me actually hitting the ball, which is rare. Um, anyway, so here goes my little sister, Lena. My sister played softball from the age of four to her senior year of high school. Softball is a recreation sport few black people play. Lena was usually the only fly in the milk pail, so to speak. Got it, got it, got it. She played shortstop and was a lead batter. The Tennessee Cougars traveled all over the country to play in tournaments. From city to city, from city to city, Tennessee Cougars show no pity. Tennessee Cougars show no pity. From state to state, from state to state, Tennessee Cougars dominate. Tennessee Cougars dominate. From coast to coast. From coast to coast. Steer Reich. Tennessee Cougars are the most. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. After a day of playing back-to-back -back games, the Cougars would rest at their hotel and swim. Hey guys, let's see who can do the best dive. Yeah. Cannonball. The first time the team swam together, they noticed something curious. Lena's hair. Her hair went from afro to curly when it got wet, when she got it wet. You guys know that was the best cannonball y'all seen. Oh my God, your hair. How did your hair just do that? Lena's white teammates, or everyone else on the team, marveled like she just did some kind of magic trick. My sister Lena had what is known to some black folks as good hair. When Lena was younger, our auntie Simone used to say, Poor child got skin dark as my cast iron. Ha, at least she got hair that grows. Lena had long, shiny black coils. 
her hair retained instead of lost moisture. What happened to your afro? Yeah. Your hair's so long. It's just wet. When Lena's hair got wet, it went from tight kinks that reached toward the sun to loose curls that draped over her shoulders. Can I touch it? I want to feel too. Uh, okay. Her hair became more recognizable as the kind of hair that grew from her teammates' heads. Haha, <laughs> I just made a cute little afro. Let me touch. Oh my god, it's so soft. The players floated towards her the way jellyfish sway in search of prey. After the first time the Tennessee Cougars swam together, Lena's hair became their little curio. Why don't you wear your hair out, huh? Each and every practice, game, tournament, team photo, post-game celebration, and team social. The white girls watched and studied Lena's hair. Your hair, your hair is nicer than this black girl's in my math class. You're different from other black girls. Why do you always have your hair braided? Why does your hair always smell like chocolate? Give me a tea. So soft. Huh? And of course, they touched Lena's hair whenever they felt the urge, which was all the time. Lena never said anything, even though she didn't like the attention, especially the hair touching. Nice catch. They weren't mean, but they weren't exactly nice either. Lena's teammates made her feel caged up, and so Lena began a little ritual whenever she was alone. First, she tugged and pulled at a braid until it unraveled. Then she'd inspect an individual strand and wrap it around her finger. She'd tug and tug till the root ripped from her scalp. She'd feel a pinch of pain and then a little wave of relief. She'd do it again and again. And that was Lena's ritual whenever she was alone. She'd do it again and again and again and again and in a few months Lena noticed a little bald spot she braided over the spot to cover it up and then another bald spot appeared and another and another and another and 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 Soon, Lena ran out of the ways to cover them up, and people noticed. Oh my god, Lena's going bald. What's up with your hair, Lena? You got AIDS or something? Lena wanted to stop, but she didn't know how. She wanted that relief after each little pinch of pain. How was work, Mom? Tiring. 
have a soft, what? What the, your hair's falling out, bend down. How did you get all these bald spots? I don't know. And so our mother took her to the doctors. I'd like to speak with you in private, Mrs. Russell. Sure. The doctor drew blood, collected a urine sample, and did a skin biopsy. All of the tests came back normal, obviously. I'm almost certain there's nothing physically wrong with Lena. I wrote a referral for her to see another doctor. Here you go. Thanks. A shrink? Yes, I think Lena's doing it to herself. Lena, are you pulling your hair out? No. Dr. Yang said you were. I'm not. It's worth repeating, Lena wanted to stop pulling her hair out, but she still craved that relief after each little pinch of pain. Headed to practice, see ya, mom. See ya. And though our mother wanted to believe her, she noticed. When Lena came back from practice, mom said, you're going to the shrink tomorrow, but no buts. During the first session, she said nothing. The second, she cried. The third session was the same as the second. And then at the fourth session, she said one thing. I pull my hair out when I'm alone. After that moment, what her therapist, Dr. Patal, called a breakthrough, Lena started to undergo cognitive behavioral therapy and some other treatments. She kept journals about her feelings and recorded each moment she felt the urge to pull. When that wasn't enough, Lena wore mittens and hair headscarves. When that didn't work, she tried meds, Zoloft, Lexapro, Wellbutrin, then she couldn't sleep and broke out in hives. So then Dr. Patal tried talk therapy. So tell me more about softball. Um, okay. But Lena never could hold a conversation and ended up crying for most of the time. Lena stopped going to therapy and she stopped playing softball. She doesn't swing a bat or play catch anymore. She still pulls her hair out, hair out though. From city to city, Tennessee Cougars show no pity. From state to state, Tennessee Cougars dominate. From coast to coast, Tennessee Cougars are the most uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That's it. Thank you so much for that wonderful reading. You're welcome. <laughs> so I just want to go ahead and start this conversation a little naturally. Um, 
I'm a fan of Hot Comb. I read it, blurbed it. It was a very fabulous book. Um, I highly recommend it to everyone because it's a piece that I feel very kindred to being not only a black girl, but also one who's experienced the same kind of treatments with my hair. Uh, what were your feelings that you were going through while writing that story in regards to Lena's anxiety? Uh, so I wrote, so with making comics, typically it takes like forever. Um, and when you maybe like listen to other cartoonists, they say things like, it took me 15 years to write this like 80 page book. Um, and some of that's true, but um, so with uh, Lena, I think it's about a 19 page story. And typically for a 24 page story, it takes me about maybe a month to complete. And this one took me like less than two weeks. And I'm trying to remember, it so I wrote it after, I believe after my friend's um, dissertation defense when I was listening to her talk about like all of these uh, black women athletes experiences in collegiate sports. and. Like I was, I don't know if I, I don't know if anger is was the right word, but I was just, um, I was sad and frustrated that like so many black women have similar experiences that might not, and you know, they don't, we don't talk about as much like to this kind of detail in this in in a public way, um, and so I just started creating. Lena through that way. And so it was almost like a relief to kind of get it out. And even though this, this wasn't my experience playing softball, um, I definitely have had encounters where people questioned my hair and in, I feel like questioning one's hair choices is inappropriate all the time, but it was definitely inappropriate situations. Like I'm about to take a test and you're asking me about my hair and touching it. Um, and now I can't focus on my test. Um, and so I drew upon that to, to create this story. So when I was going through it, I just felt relief. And I think part of it was my pacing. So um, I just did a quick um, penciling of it. And, and so typically I do like a, there's lots of layering situations. So I use like transparent paper and then I use like a, a, white, a light board to, to redraw it and then I redraw it again and sometimes I change panels around and I didn't do it with this. I just drew it straight on um, on the good paper and, and then inked it right away. Thank you, we appreciate your DPI. No, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so speaking of anxieties and like black mental health, I know that for our community, uh, therapy is not really something we actually go to no. or is something that is available in a lot of our communities. Uh, what made you decide to go in the direction you did with seeking therapy, medication, like the thought processes kind of behind that, did you feel that might help people try to seek that out? Uh, well, I wasn't thinking along those lines. I was yeah. just thinking of um, some of yeah, some of the broader experiences of that I've heard with like my friends and family and my own personal experience with therapy and how like, yeah, they people say to go and sometimes that kind of backfires and it's like a shit show kind of thing and then like, but then other times it, it works and it's great. And and um, 
I, I wanted to show some of the, I guess, complexity. I mean, in this story, it's all negative. Like, it just didn't work for, like, nothing worked. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and the ending is left open-ended where the, it's still, like, a struggle, a daily struggle for her. Um, and even though it's not maybe as outwardly expressed, like, she's not, like, walking around saying, man, those white folks playing softball, they really messed me up kind of thing, but she still has this kind of residual effect of, of, of pulling her hair out um, that could probably be treated with therapy, but who knows if she'll go back to it and try it again as an adult, but at this time, um, you know, it didn't work for her when she was younger. And, and you know, for me personally, I've had experience, I go to therapy now and it's working-ish, but, you know, definitely, <laughs> you know, when I was younger and I've tried to go, it was just like, no, this is not, this is like, I, I'm just staring at your shoe choice and like, it's just like, you're making me angry, like you're eating popcorn kind of thing. And so, um, <laughs> therapists who eat popcorn, all right. Yeah, it's just like a little trigger for me, but, um, <laughs> will not eat popcorn <laughs> while interviewing. So, yeah, so that's what I was showing with, with that is, you know, therapy is great. It doesn't work all the time, and it, but it can work, and sometimes it, it's not right for certain people at, yeah. in certain moments in their life, but it might work at other times. I agree with that completely. Um, I know we talked a little bit about how your stories are feel-down stories <laughs> instead of feel-good. But your Some cover are funny. <laughs> <laughs> but your cover for me is actually super feel good because it has a lot of nostalgic memories for me. Um, just looking at it, you might not notice it. But would you tell folks what kind of inspired you to make this cover? Yeah. So I, this is from the a spoof off of the Never Ending Story. Um, so there's the part where I tray you. If, if no one has any, I'm not going to explain the story, but <laughs> I'm it's never ending. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a scene in the first the first one, which is the only good one, um, where Atreyu has to walk to in between these two statues. And and, 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 and if you um, the little crazy, uh, crazy haired um, uh, scientist says, you know, you have to have confidence. And if you don't. They sniff you out and then they zap you and and, and everything. So um, so Atreyu is walking through and he's like, "Be confident, be confident," um, and he makes it through. Um, and I love that scene. I hated the never-ending story because the only black person in it was this like old like guy with like this fin thing off of his head and this like long kind of thin mustache. And I don't know. There were so many interesting characters and. And the, and the black guy was just kind of like, uh, kind of thing. So I, um, I decided to make my own version of it, uh, but with hot combs, because I feel like <laughs> with black women, there's like a, a confidence thing to, one, to be able to have your hair done in any kind of way, and um, in knowing that our hair is more than just like our personal, opinions or feelings about how we want to have it done. That it's always unfortunately political because it's wrapped around um, the, the historical legacy and presence, current presence of white supremacy in this country. And so we can never just have our hair just be. And, and if, when you do, you do have to have confidence. <laughs> 
yeah, you just you have to have confidence about it when you have you when you rock a certain style um, or no style. Um, yeah, and just kind of live your life. It's it, I think it's very difficult. And and some of the examples I was I was talking about before the reading, um, I think speaks to that. Agreed, agreed. Um, I know personally when you were talking about your fake hair care products that yeah, you pinnacle pinnacle. I occasionally post the them peak on of hair. <laughs> uh, that's kind of important to me, just because I grew up in the eighties. We both did. Yeah. Uh, we're same age siblings, <laughs> but not related. Um, it's just something that we experience different than current generations as far as hair care and beauty that's available now. When we would go to beauty stores, they were not really beauty stores, and our products were sometimes really far in the back. Um, and then sometimes there were black beauty shops uh, that were available in our areas uh, I had quite a few experiences there because I would have to get something known as relaxers uh, yeah. from these places. Uh, did you have any personal experiences getting your hair relaxed? Yeah, so so another thing, I, I, um, before I, I talk about my hair relaxing days, <laughs> which, you know, I do sometimes miss, honestly. Like, sometimes I'm just like, damn, I wish I really could just get a relaxer. I just love that day. smell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm. You know, I mean, natural hair... <laughs> Natural hair is great and all, but like really, it's it, when your hair is like a certain length, it, it takes just as long, if not longer, than dealing with relaxed hair. But anyway, um, with my hair product ads, um, so I collect old uh, Jet and Ebony magazines um, and Essence magazines. I prefer Essence and Jet over Ebony, but um, anyway, I collect them all and I like the old, uh, like really old ones too, and I kind of flip through them. Um, one to look at the ads because there's a lot of hair ads on there and and what I noticed um, and I have been doing this for like maybe five or six years um, it's what grad school does to you too like let me just start collecting these old magazines <laughs> um, and what I noticed is that a lot of the hair ads the first thing is that they're so inventive and 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 creative um, where there are a lot of like spoofs off of um, movies, like Star Wars was like big um, back then, but you know, there weren't really any black people in the 80, in the Star Wars movies. And so what some of these Except James Earl do, Jones. Yeah, but you never saw him, right? You but you never know. saw him, he was just um, Vader. Yeah, exactly, and so Darth Vader could be, could be a white dude. Um, and, or imagined as a white person. And so um, what these hair ads did was put black people in spaces where they, where we are um, typically left out. And so I love that like creative part of it because you know sometimes it would just be really funny. So like there was this one ad that I, I just love um, where it was, uh, it's these two black people landing on the moon dressed up as uh, stormtroopers. Um, and, and I it just redrew that over and over again. Um, but one thing I noticed with the hair ads was that um, there was a lot of like heteronormativity and it was all about like trying to get a man and I just wanted our like black women's hair to be more than just trying to get a man and trying to get married. And so I started redrawing these hair ads to, to center and, and put a focus on um, black womanhood and friendship 
and, and, and those kind of loving relationships so that our hair wasn't about like trying to um, find fulfillment through someone else. Um, and then it took another turn. <laughs> um, but, that, but that was the main thing. And so my, my relaxer experience, so I go back and forth with it. I was just talking to my hairstylist because she just relaxed her hair after having it natural for a long time. Um, so I, I detail my first perm experience in hot comb. Um, and it was awful, like if anyone, so I was called tenderheaded, which I also think is because I was light skinned, people call me tenderheaded too, mm -hmm. um, to make fun of me, but um, there was some truth to that. So I had like sores over on my head, like with my first relaxer because it was left in too long, but that did not stop me from, uh, with the relaxer experience. And so I relaxed my hair all the way up until 38 now, it was probably like 30 the last time I got a relaxer. Um, and then I just stopped. And part of it was like money. <laughs> like money stops with a lot of things. I stopped getting like box braids. I stopped doing like a lot of things that cost money because I was in grad school. And so that was one of the things that stopped. Um, and it's been good. Like, you know, I like my hair however it is. I also, I also love styles that require a relaxer too. So I'm not like, like with hot comb, I, a couple of people have been, have noticed or have assumed that I'm like pro natural hair. And mm -hmm. I love natural hair, but I also love weaves. I love wigs yeah. and I love texturizers and perms. I just, I just think that um, black women should be able to, my, my Afrofuturism is a, a day when women, black women can wear their hair however they want and that's it. It's just, it's not talked about. So, yeah, but my, my natural, my, my relaxer experience has been, you know, like I, I feel like a lot of black women, like it's been up and down. Yeah. There, there's horror stories and trauma and then there's also like, oh, I look cute today. Kind yes. Of thing. I mean, so. that's kind of the whole point with hair. It's an expression of ourselves. And within that, it's an extension of ourselves and our own personalities. We should be able to have fun with that. Um, up until Tuesday, I had dyed hair that was like kind of up to here. And I grew up my Afro quite a bit um, to the point where my passport is nothing but hair and my face. And um, <laughs> the guy at the Walmart who had to like crop out my hair for the picture was like, I'm just giving up. <laughs> here is a box in your picture. Go take it to get your passport. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make you suffer. <laughs> uh, but those are like the fun parts about what we can do with our hair because our hair is like another part of us fighting back in a system that has largely ignored us until lately where they're like, oh yeah, black people exist. Let's go ahead and add these products to your Target or your Safeway or your Johns so that you can start spending more money with us. And yeah. I feel like that's been really prevalent lately. Yeah, but it's also good that we, we have more choices yeah. as well. And I think, um, I mean, there's always, I, I hesitate with the word movement because yeah. I know natural hair has become a movement. It's been a movement for a while, but, um, what I do appreciate is that there are not now laws coming into um, play um, that kind of help 
better protect black women with the choices that they want to make regarding their hair and and not feeling like their hair choices will impact um, whether or not they can still have a job on Monday. Um, and so there's legislation. I think it was just passed uh, maybe a year ago in New York and there's some stuff going on. I live in Denver now and there's some um, legislation um, getting um, uh, written up for um, black women and hair in the workplace too. Uh, I've personally experienced that. Uh, back when I was 18, my mom was like, if you don't straighten your hair, you won't get a job. So I straightened my hair and I got a job. And then I stopped straightening my hair and I still had a job. And I kind of used that as a way to fight back against what my mom had said at the time that it didn't really matter. Have you ever had any experiences where, you, oh, yeah. where you've definitely done that? Yeah, so, okay, so I, I taught um, biology in the States and then also in, um, in, in Angola, which is a, a country in Southern Africa. If you know South Africa and then there's like Namibia and then Angola is right there. So I, 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 um, I, I did not go there to teach. I went there to hang out with a friend of mine and I love the place so much. I decided to stay. You stayed and so changed. I do have <laughs> impulsive issues. <laughs> um, anyway, so so I, I started teaching there, and to get a um, to apply to jobs, you have to have a picture of yourself in your on your resume to send out to to on people. Your CV. And so I was like, all right, let me straighten my hair for this because <laughs> because I knew that that would be an issue. So I straightened my hair, and I got I got a job at an international school just off of my my resume, my uh, phone interview. And when the principal saw me on the first day in person, that's I still had a texturizer in, but I didn't have my hair straightened. The first comment he made was about my hair. <laughs> it was just like, oh, uh, you're, you're different now. Your hair is different now. And, and, I, and when he said that and the way he said that and how he looked at me when he said that, I knew that if I went in there with, it wasn't even my natural hair. It was like a texturized version of my natural hair. I would not have gotten a job. Wow. I looked too, too resistant. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a natural issue that we've had to face. Yeah. And you know that look on their face. It's, it's kind of like this like squinty eyed for a moment and then it's a wide eyed yeah. and then it goes to like, Oh, <laughs> you look like all the other common folk. Yeah. Folk here. Yeah. Uh, that unfortunately has been something that I've experienced even just uh, traveling around. Uh, I went to Japan for a while and uh, went to a favorite place that I wanted to go to to buy some manga. And everybody, I had braids in my hair at the time. Uh, oh, dear. Sitting in a chair for 14 hours. Not something I uh, recommend to anyone. <laughs> Uh, but everybody wanted to touch my hair. They wanted to know how I got it so long or why it existed the way that it did and how I did the braids as small as they were. So, yeah. Yeah, and th so there's another story that reminded me in, that's in my book, and it's about Toronto. It's not really a story. It's more of like something, some shit that happened kind of thing. Um, and so Toronto for me has always been like the promised land for for cartoonists and making comics. This is my idea before I actually went there. Um, and like, it was like a rainbow of people. Are you right, dissing Toronto? <laughs> I know I love Toronto. They so. have great kimchi fries, okay? <laughs> they do. They really do. They do, because 
there's Korea Town. Yes, they have a great Korea Town. <laughs> and so, so I went there. Uh, so I, I had an opportunity to go there um, because I was um, teaching at the University of Toronto. And and so the my experience with the whole cartooning and comics thing was true, and I think a lot of that has to do with the universal healthcare that they have. But um, but the whole rainbow coalition utopia idea I had in my head just kind of fizzled uh, out. F- it fizzled and faded away um, because so I was wrapping my hair a lot, um, and I, I still do, but. Um, but there, especially, I was wrapping my hair a lot. And um, I noticed that whenever I wrapped my hair, people, white people would be very um, short with me or, or um, just treat me in a way that I felt like it was because my hair was wrapped. And, and this, um, uh, an incident I detailed in my book kind of uh, reinforced that idea where someone came up to me when I was in the subway and asked me all these questions about why my, why my hair was wrapped and like ask, trying to figure out what country I was from. And, and, and then she, she looked disappointed and also confused when I was just like, I'm, I'm American, I'm from the US, I'm from Baltimore, there's nothing special about me, descendants of slaves <laughs> kind of person. And, and um, I realized, oh, I don't know how prevalent it is in, in Canada or Ontario or in that part of the area, but there is a tension between um, people, uh, non-Muslims and Muslims there. Um, and I think, and it's just different than it is in the US, um, but I definitely picked up on that vibe whenever my hair was wrapped. and But whenever it wasn't wrapped, I never had any kind of, I didn't feel like I was um, being looked at in a suspicious way or being treated differently. And obviously their ignorance of not understanding your silk wrap, which is highly decorated or usually one color yeah. versus the normal wear of what one who would be within Muslim culture to wear. Yeah, but it's just like, even if I, I don't know, it's just like, it was the first time I experienced that and I was surprised to experience it there and, and then to look in comparison to my experiences in the U.S. where I can have my hair wrapped and no one will pay me any mind. And on the bus, on the train. And this is in Denver, which is yeah. one of the whitest places I ever lived in my entire life. I lived and in Portland, Oregon, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't get the same, I didn't, yeah, I don't get the same looks I, I got when I was in Toronto. Okay. Uh, have you ever tried to experience any black hair care stores outside of Denver or outside of Baltimore in every, any other area where you might have needed something quickly for your hair uh, while you were traveling or any of those types of experiences? Yeah, so uh, traveling, so I traveled a lot um, in, in before there was social media, so I never talked about it, <laughs> um, but I, I traveled um, all throughout Sub-Saharan Africa and um, East Africa and parts of East Africa and then um, Southeast Asia, like India and Sri Lanka and Nepal. Um, and and I was gone, like sometimes I would be gone for like months at a time in a country. I don't know, it's just hair wraps are good. <laughs> <laughs> they save a nap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, like now I keep my hair short on purpose because I feel like with short hair you can kind of stick anything in it yeah. and not feel too guilty <laughs> or like off-putting by it. But um, there are definitely 
like I was gone for like three years and I went home like once and I, I definitely stocked up on stuff whenever I went home. But then I also found interesting products that are like there's really um, some nice hair oils in, in Southeast Asia I came across that I collected. And when I was in Brazil, I, I took up a bunch of stuff, but I don't put like natural hair products in my head. So I'll use all the silicones and all the, all the paraffins and all the crap you're not supposed to put in your hair. I, I do that because whatever it's just hair <laughs> <laughs> I mean as we just cut ours all off yeah I, I mean it really is just hair yeah. um I guess my other experience which I recently just had I was out in Maui and I biffed it into the sand and I had sand all throughout my hair and my hair being longer really held in a lot of the sand uh, yeah. um and I was forced to come to terms with if I wanted to get this out of my hair I googled for the first time what to do if you get sand in natural hair. I've never done this in my entire life. This was just something that happened to me last week. Uh, and I came upon a forum post, which was by white mothers who adopted black children. <laughs> and it was the most depressing thing I've ever read because she was like, take a vacuum cleaner to it. And I was oh just God. in That's a comic right shock there. and in <laughs> tears and in just like, rage and these other mothers were like I just did it to my child from Zimbabwe and it was great and I was just realizing that this when I was trying to google for black forums about this none of them came up in the top search results at all it was all buried within the third pages everything else was for just adoptive mothers who couldn't figure out their black adopted child's hair and that kind of became something that I became fixated on before coming to see you because I never experienced that. And then I went and I got my hair all chopped off and it, it feels great. I love looking like a boy, so it doesn't matter. But like that kind of situation, have you ever Googled something and kind of like ran into like how our hair care is supposed to be treated and it's absolutely not? I just ask other people. Like, <laughs> I avoid that. Like Google is a horrible. Like, it's wonderful, but it's also very like horrible. I just go to. Uh, I ask a friend or go to my stylist. Yeah. I, you know, there's a a minute when I used to swim a lot. Okay. And you know, with chlorine um, and relaxed hair, because I used to swim and then straighten my hair afterwards, right? <laughs> <laughs> And Someone's so, brave. Yeah, and so, you know, I was just talking. There was, like, four of us, four um, black women who was, was swimming, and we all had different kind of, like, ways of drawing our hair. So one person had braids, another one had dreads, and I think, I think another person had their hair relaxed, too. And so we were just kind of swapped, like, products and, mm -hmm. and talk about what worked and didn't work. So you had, like, a small group or community? Very small, because there's not a lot of us swimming in, in pools. At least, you know, places I've been swimming. <laughs> Denver. And I then. know them all. <laughs> okay. I, I believe that kind of plays upon, you know, just, like, how important it is to also have even the smallest of networks or communities, be it family or be it friends that you can kind of relate to and share those products. I lived in a place where I was completely isolated from everyone and there was not another black person for miles, unfortunately, because I was so obscurely placed at that point in time. So I think it's really important to be able to say that, yes, these systems need to be there for one another. 
uh, even if we are outside and it's kind of a desert in a way on like Google, for instance, yeah. if you have to use that as your last resort. Yeah, and, the, and when I was swimming, I, I lived in places where there were like black, lots of black people, so yeah. like the DMV, where you don't have to think about being black as much. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, a wonderful thing we don't have to think about that. <laughs> it, it really is. Uh, since I came back to LA, I'm very happy with my hair and, and the situation of what I get to actually deal with, and I have my queer salon that I go to. It's something I never thought I would be able to look up is just queer salon to feel really comfortable and Project Q was something that came up for me and it's led by a non-binary black barber by the name of Madden Lopez. You get your hair done there, but it's a comforting experience being able to have your hair done in a way because I've gone to salons in the past where I've had my hair relaxed or I've had it blown out and then it's really long and it's to my shoulders. Um, they would not cut my hair because they said it would no longer make me look feminine. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, huh. So have you ever had any issues with not your current stylist, but stylists in the past who might have wanted to corral or take hold of your hair in their vision? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. So there is this, and, and I was sad to have to break ties with him. So I had a stylist um, back home. His name is Eben. And I thought that was great because my name's Ebony. It was like Eben and Ebony. I was like, this is, this is going to work. Eben and Ebony. Yeah. And he, he did such, I mean, I loved all the cuts he gave me and everything. But then when I got pregnant and, you know, I was really uh, nauseous all the time. And I, so I didn't feel like doing anything, like getting, like taking a shower felt like exercise to me. And so I wanted to have my hair cut off. And he was like, well, um, I don't think you should do that because what if, what if you get all fat and bloated when you're pregnant and then you're not going to look right? And, and I could see where he's coming from, but then again, I was just like, who are you, though? You're not pregnant. <laughs> you didn't knock me up. You really can't make those yeah, determinations or comments. Yeah, and but. it was – I didn't – entirely break up with him because of that um but it was it was like I, I had moved out to Denver and so I was um waiting whenever I visited family back home I that's when I get my hair cut <laughs> and so when you when I you know because I was waiting so long to get my hair cut there were only certain styles I could do where I wouldn't look ragged mm -hmm. and so um after he said that to me kind of pushed me a little to find a, a stylist back in Denver, which I found. Um, but, but yeah, so he said that to me about being pregnant. So I don't know. I think he had a, an issue with uh, pregnant women getting their hair done. I'm sorry. Does my belly have something to do with my head? Uh, yeah. All signs point to no. Yeah, but I, he, I did. He did cut it short for me, but we did go back and forth, and I had to, I had to like, you know, calm him down. Yeah. And say, I'm okay with with looking bloated and having short hair. <laughs> I'm good with that. <laughs> I'm sorry you even had to have that experience. Yeah, I, because I didn't want anyone else to cut my hair, and I was in a situation mm -hmm. where I was like, all right, let me calm you down, Evan. I know what I'm doing. Cut my hair, please. Uh, yeah. I've had a 
silly or I should say desperate time where I needed to get my hair cut once and I had to go to a super cuts. Oh god no. Because it was hair the wraps, only <laughs> thing in the area whatsoever. And the man who did my hair was like, this is like my grandfather's best friend's hair. And I was like, what the? Okay, well, I'm going to sit in this chair and you're going to try to do something. And he like proceeded to horribly. I am not, by the way, tenderheaded. I, I know what it means. And I know <laughs> what it means in a derogatory way when you're yeah. sitting in a chair to be called tenderheaded. But I'm not whatsoever. I've. I grew up with seven brothers who are all older than me. Um, the gap between me and my youngest is nine years. And wow. they would pick me up by my hair <laughs> as a child. Um, so my hair is really strong. But Good for you. <laughs> just brag. <laughs> um, but uh, that doesn't mean that I still don't feel pain or whatnot when the clippers go too, too deep or when relaxers are left in for too long or braids are getting too tight and you begin to get headaches. There's no way around that. That's part of the process of having your hair done. So for me, I went to the Supercuts and uh, he decided to give me an afro, which is not what I asked for. I asked for a shortcut. Uh, So he proceeded to pick out my hair and then sculpt it. And then by the time I was done, I looked like the cover of Jet Magazine in like 1987. And and I was kind of digging it, though, because it was something I wasn't expecting to come out with. Have you ever gone in and come out with something you weren't expecting? No. No? No. Okay. Like, that's I stick with stylists I know. And they're either my friends or or like Eben. So, so <laughs> Evan's not a friend, by the way. I'm I'm ixnaying Evan for you. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's hard though. He man, he can cut hair and he can do everything like yeah, weaves anyway. But no, I, I because I I've been fortunate enough where I, I know that I have people in my family or friends who are willing to do my hair yeah. and do it for free. Which is always Ooh. good. Um, so I've never had a supercut situation. <laughs> like I would wrap my hair for months before I go to supercuts. Listen, yeah, I was I desperate yeah. and I had to get on an airplane. Anyway, it Bless worked you. out in my favor. Bless you for doing that. <laughs> hair experience. We can talk about that next time. Yeah. So to kind of wrap into back to the book and the stories involved, um, was there anything personally for you when you were working on it you might have felt unsure of adding to the book? No, so the book, so I wrote the, um, so I know that like most people who write books are sit down with the intention of writing a book, and so I feel, I don't feel bad anymore, but I didn't really sit down to have, with the intention of making a book. I was writing a dissertation at the same time um, that I was doing a lot of these stories, and so it was more of a stress reliever for me. Um, because I had my whole um, dissertation experience was, it was pretty stressful and traumatizing and that's for that's not for this time um, and so it was, it was I was pretty unhappy and so my way of like um, coping with that was making comics that felt a little bit more personal and, and felt like they were they were more mine to to share with a small group of people um, and so after I finished my dissertation, uh, what I didn't know is that my old boss, 
who was also a cartoonist, uh, was sharing my work with her publisher. And I, it was like a random email I got from, from Peggy at Drawn and Quarterly and saying, oh, uh, so-and-so's been uh, showing me your work. And I was like horrified <laughs> because, you know, I was showing it to like, you know, five people or so. And, and I was horrified, but, but then I was okay with it because she was like, oh, I love it. And um, I, I'm really interested in publishing your work. Do you have more to show? And, and then I said, I can't, I can't do anything right now because I'm working on my dissertation. And, and that's sucking my life force on <laughs> me. So it's just like, I'll, I'll email you, um, you know, in a year or so. And, and then after I finished my dissertation, I got the Rana Jaffe Award, which allowed me to, um, it's, a, it's a, an award for uh, young, or not actually young, I should, it's for women writers who are early in their career. Um, so not necessarily young, because I'm almost 40, but, um, and, and it's uh, just money that you can use to however you want to, to finish whatever it is that you're working on. And so for me, when people give me a lump sum like that, which never happens, I, I'm going to use it um, for what, it, what I said I was gonna do. So they said, let me finish this um, book or let me finish these stories. And I actually had two books going at the time or two Ooh. things that could be stories. Um, so this, this one, which is the collection of stories, short stories about hair, and I, it only came through because I realized, oh, I have all these stories about hair. It wasn't an intention, it was just like, wow, I've written a lot of stories that kind of revolve around this theme. And so it was like, oh, that could be a book. And then I have this other one that's I'm working on now is my second book, which um, is about um, loosely, uh, it's a fiction piece that's loosely about where my grandmother grew up, the picture I showed you where, um, where she lived in um, a place in Baltimore that was um, zoned for mixed industrial use. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I talked to um, Peggy, drawn in quarterly a year out and showed her the two my two projects that could potentially become a book, she said it's better to go with short stories first as your first book before you do a longer one. So that's the only reason why it came out that way. And then um, Drawn and Quarterly has wonderful um, editors there to um, take out stories and, and say you need to add in stories and to organize the stories in a certain way if like that's something that you want to, the, the creative control you want to give up, which I'm, Again, I was writing my dissertation. I was like, yeah, sure, I don't care what you guys, um, how you guys organize it. So um, they kind of curated my stories in, in that order and, and in that way. So, and they helped with, they did the coloring for my um, cover. I didn't color it. Okay. Oh. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it means it's the right CMYK. Anyway, no. Yeah, it was definitely not the, I don't know if there's a, a, a scripted way of getting published, mm -hmm. but um, the way I think about it in comics is that you self-publish for a while, you do a lot of comic shows, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of publishers walking around, and then they see your work, and if they're interested in it, um, and, and representing you, or, or seeing what else you could do, then you have that conversation, and, and you go from there. But that can take years and that might never happen and you mm -hmm. could be in a situation where you're always self-publishing and 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 
luckily there's like stuff like Kickstarter where you can make a ton of cash, more cash than I, <laughs> than I make off of my books um, with Drawn and Quarterly, but um, where you can make a lot of cash off of Kickstarter to, to help um, jumpstart um, your books, sharing your books in that way, so. I want to ask, and I feel like this is kind of like just something personal for me as well. What made you stumble into comics as a medium in the first place? When you're writing and you're doing a dissertation, most people just think of, you know, standard prose form or a lot of text. What, what gave you, I guess, that sort of idea, not only to come into comics, but to use it as your medium of speaking? So, um... So I went to grad school after traveling a bunch, and I learned so much from, from tr well, not just traveling, but just living my life. So I used to make prosthetics. Okay. I used to teach high school biology, environmental science. When I was traveling, I learned uh, to speak Portuguese. And then I get to grad school, and it was just like a just sad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say it was like an awful experience because it was. I've had some very positive experiences with grad school, but there was a lot of, um, it wasn't the best environment for me for learning. Um, and I wanted, and especially when I was learning qu uh, qualitative research methods, it was pretty like square. It was like, you know, you can do interviews, um, you can do field work, and then you write it up in this way, and you do, there's a lit review, um, whatever. And so I started looking um, for courses that would teach me um, more creative ways of uh, representing my research and ways of thinking about um, how to do my analysis. And um, that's when I came across comics and started working with that. I had no drawing experience before that. I was definitely not the artist. <laughs> you know how mm -hmm. in your like elementary school there's like, Oh, you know, so-and-so can draw real good. That was never me. <laughs> I was never that kid either. <laughs> um, but um, comics have a, a, I wouldn't, I don't know if everyone would agree with me who's in the industry, but I think um, comics are different and unique in that um, it's a space between writing and, and, and drawing, like, um, Rembrandt representational drawing, and you can, it's kind of like this middle path where um, you don't have to be a, a Rembrandt, and you don't have to be like a Toni Morrison to to create stories, interesting stories. And um, so I felt like once I ex was exposed to comics, um, because I definitely didn't read them as a child. I, I thought it was, I didn't think anything of it, um, but I thought it was like stuff white people did, so I never really thought about them. Um, but when I was really exposed to it and got into it, I, I saw it as a way to better express myself um, than through just straight writing. I wasn't drawing at all, but it was, it just kind of freed me up creatively. That's wonderful. Uh, for your sequel book that you had slightly mentioned, uh, will you be staying in the comics medium as well for? Yeah, I'm only making comics now. I don't yeah. think I can do, yeah. Except for my academic, I'm saying that now, I'm like, <laughs> wait. No, except for my academic stuff, there's a couple of, I mean, I, 
I do comics there, but I also just write the way academics write too. So. Yeah. <laughs> Very so astutely. No, yeah, so I still write with words with my <laughs> academic pieces. I use my words. No, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was really wonderful. Um, are there any things that you would like people to understand, mostly from Hot Comb or through the comics medium, as far as like a message that goes a little bit further that maybe people haven't picked up on from the book? Um, just that, uh, it's funny, I was just at the Image Awards yesterday for the dinner, and people, uh, people were saying interesting things that kind of revolved around that, and all I was thinking was just, um, I think s for, for people who are, like, interested in writing, or are writers, or cartoonists, or poets, or whatever, um, I'm a closeted poet, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the closeted Come means out of the closet. I, Hello, closeted I'm a means poet. That I write poetry, and I have no training in it whatsoever. Neither so did I. It didn't stop me from slamming across yeah, the Everything's free for <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes it rhymes. E.E. E. Cummings <laughs> became famous. That's all I have to say. But I would just say that... Uh, just write, just get the story out. Um, and by that, I don't mean like sharing it with people because definitely I was not trying to share my stories with people. But if you have this urge to, like a story that's like bothering you, it's just better if you just get it out and not think too much about um, next steps or even the act of it doing it itself. Just, um, spend and if you're short on time to spend like 10 minutes 20 minutes here there getting it out because that's what I'm doing now mm -hmm. um, and and if the story is um, honest like emotionally honest and true it will resonate with people at least that's been my experience that it's my stories have been resonating with people I um, haven't expected it to resonate with. Um, if there was an audience for my stories, it would be for black women, but definitely other people have come up to me to say to say wonderful things about my stories, and I've always, and I've just been humbled and, and really inspired by that. Um, and so that would be the one takeaway, is just, um, it doesn't matter who you are or like what your actual job is or position in, in this world, if you have stories that you want to get out, just get them out and people will come to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect way to wrap up our, our conversation. Uh, it felt very heartfelt and lovely. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say as far as like how to reach and find more of your work? Oh, well, thank you for everyone for listening. <laughs> No one fell asleep. I always look for someone. To <laughs> like, there's always, like, one person, yeah. <laughs> at least. But no one fell asleep here, so thank you. And, and thank you, Tanika, for coming out. <laughs> I would have yelled at them. No, I w no, no, because it's better. <laughs> People need sleep. I used to teach. Sleep at home, not at the bookstore. At least they're here. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to follow me, there's, like, the Twitter. <laughs> tell how I feel about social media but um, sometimes I post I do these like quick drawings of myself in the morning as different things like Batman or 
a fish. And so sometimes you'll see that if you're interested. Um, and then there's my website, and I try to keep it updated. Not try, I, I keep it updated. Let me give myself, I keep that shit updated, so yeah. So do I. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, can I get a hand for Dr. Ebony Flowers? I just want to appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Look, more people came. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're buying some. Yeah, well, but they stayed for the conversation regardless, yeah. and that was kind of the whole point of this. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to Skylight Book. Oh, do you have a question? Oh, we have a question. I can't even, I'm not rapping. All right, we're doing this. Amanda, as if I do not know you. <laughs> It's like church. Yeah, I go to Coral usually. Yes, Madden jacked me up because she was the only one. They were the only one available. Anyway. Yeah, so I started drawing when I was mm, 31. Like, <laughs> consistently drawing, not like being forced to draw for a class assignment in like sixth grade kind of thing. Yeah. Um, wait, what was your question again? Title. Title. Okay. Um, so the title, so this is going to, well, whatever. Okay, so Tell I, it. so with, <laughs> so with the whole publishing, um, my publishing experience, um, Drawn in Quarterly wanted um, some examples or some like options because what did, they had a they had their own idea for the title and I think it was like Burn Baby Burn and I was just like no, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, that was made by white people yeah I was just like it's not gonna okay let me and so I I gave him um, like. I think like five options. I think one of them was, um, it might have been tender-headed, but then I realized Ooh. that a book had already been called tender-headed. And then I think another one. Not about black hair care? Um, no, it was. It, it was? was. It was, yeah, it was about a black woman's experience with okay. it. I was like, damn, she got that one. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the other ones, but tender-headed was one, I think maybe like, Black Salon or something along those lines was one, and then Hot Comb was one of those. I just wanted something short um, because my um, my husband, Ramey, was like, oh, you, you need to keep the title short 
for social media. See, this is the thing with social media. <laughs> but, and, and I'm in, you know, coming from academia where titles are super long and like explains everything that's gonna be in the article before you actually read it. Um, and so, yeah, so out of those choices, they said hot comb. They liked hot comb, which, yeah. So it's not as interesting, I guess, I think didn't come to me as an epiphany or anything. It was just like a visceral reaction to their burn baby bird. I was, <laughs> I was like, about to say, anything was better than burn baby uh, bird. Yeah. Uh, that is kind of the most terrible title yeah. pitch I've heard for quite a I while. I think they got it from one of my panels um, mm -hmm. where I had, uh, it, it said burn baby burn, and mm -hmm. I guess they thought that it just stuck with them for whatever reason, yeah. Any other questions? Hey, look at this. Uh, can we go from the front and then we'll head to the back? I started, so on and off. So like, what's your question? Um, in reference, I suppose, also to our, the news pieces that we both are familiar with. Yeah, I would. Yes, they are. They are very recent. So I don't, I don't, I don't have a great answer for that. I mean, things have improved to the, in the sense that like I can write a, I can make this book called Hot Comb and lots of different people can read it and they're not, uh, 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 immediately offended and thinking I'm trying to uh, push a narrative that they perhaps disagree with and and, and I, I feel like a lot of um, people are more open and willing to, to read um, stories like mine that are left ambiguous and open-ended where there isn't a happy ending. Um, so in that sense, I guess it's improved, but in the day-to-day -day reality of it, I don't know, probably not. Like, you know, I, I don't go out much because I'm either making comics or like, you know, dealing with a baby. But um, the times I do go out, I, it's, it's not out of the ordinary if someone makes a comment about my hair or, or, or yeah, just says something about my hair, which, you know, leads me to think that if I was out more, this would be a situation. <laughs> or if I had to go, if I had an office job, it would be like a situation because um, I don't, I mean, my hair is all cut off now, but I like to change up my hair uh, quite a bit. And so that's an issue too. Like when you, you're a black person who changes their hair quite often. I don't know. So I don't, I, I would say I, you'd have to talk to the person. I think it's a case by case basis. So. Some, yeah. Unfortunately, our news currently sadly reflects the same sentiment and feelings where it has not changed. In fact, that's why we need something called legislation to actually assist with these matters, which is really ridiculous when it's just our hair naturally. Um, it's I'm so glad that they exist. Yes, like, yes. Uh, yeah. Because unfortunately, we live in a timeline where they have to. Mm -hmm. um, we'll go ahead and take the question in the back. That's a great question. So pre-baby, I would say, yeah, because I had like long stretches of time 
to to work on my drawings um, and work on my comics. And so I could sit there and kind of like play around um, a little bit more. And so sometimes I would, you know, I start off writing first and then start drawing or I start off drawing first and then, and then write. Um, but now since I have like increment little bits of time, I, I have this around me a lot and like a little notepad. And so I'll, if like dialogue pops up in my head, I'll write it down really quick because I don't know the next time I'll be able to like uh, sit down and, and do it and if I remember. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so now I go through like kind of phases where there's like a penciling phase, which is kind of like the hardest and most um, labor intensive because I'm creating new stories. Um, and so I, I, I try to find stretches of time for that. And I have like odd hours that I work um, for that. And, and with those moments, I, I typically do a quick, I work on index cards and I, I quickly like um, do a mix of like very quick sketches in, in narrative and in, in storytelling storylines um, that I can do in like less than five minutes. And then I'll have like maybe, and each index card will um, represent a page. And so I'll have like maybe over the course of the day, like five or six of those that I can work off of and then work slower on. And then sometimes um, as I work slower on the, um, and add on more detail and, and work on bigger, um, still not great paper, but work on bigger paper and to scale, the story changes slightly, but um, yeah. So, so it's still a mix of writing and drawing. It's just the how I do it has changed because of my life circumstances. I make it sound like, anyway, having a baby is like having an illness. But <laughs> <laughs> don't have babies. No. <laughs> you can, but it's just it just changes things up. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes. Um, so I didn't read any graphic memoirs specifically, um, for, while I was making these stories, I was just doing my dissertation and then just didn't care to look at those. But just in general, um, uh, Calling Dr. Laura is good by, uh, Nicole, last name is George's and, um, she's one and then uh, Whit Taylor is interesting she hey. does I think I don't know if she I know she self-publishes I don't know if she's with anyone um, she's not she's not okay so that's sad but it, she has a website um, <laughs> where you can get her stuff Whit Taylor comics with an X yeah look at that and then um <laughs> Uh, let's see, there's, mm, John Porcelino does a lot of stuff. Um, 
it's a hit or I, I he's he's a certain kind of flavor, but I I like his um, drawing style a lot, um, and his pacing, um, and then. Do you have any people? You have a you know a lot of memoir people. I I do. Well, say some while I'm I'm thinking of Well, I mean, for me, I haven't I haven't actually been reading anything right now because I work in television. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> creation. Yay. Um, the uh, I forgot her name. Ah, her name. Okay, so the title of the book is Creation, and it's really good because it's about um. Uh, gen- gentrification in her her hometown um, in Ontario, um, and also about um, uh, being a mother. And then also Teresa Wong wrote uh, or just made a comic um, called Dear Scarlet that's about um, postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Um, that was good for me. I didn't have postpartum depression, but um, I, I relate it to some of the things uh, that she she um, talked or wrote about there, um, and then also um, there's a book series called Graphic Medicine that's published by um, Penn State University, and they they publish a lot of um, work that's about. Um, mental health and experiences with illness, lifelong illnesses, and, um, uh, and um, terminal illnesses, too. Cool. I recommend those. Anyone else? All right, then I feel this is going to get wrapped up. Yeah. And if anyone has a book they'd like yeah. me to sign, I, I can, I'm, I'm around for I wanted to make sure minutes. you had Let time for signing, definitely. Yeah, yeah I... Ooh. I have a few minutes. I I can draw fast. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.